I want to encourage you to open up your Bibles and turn to page 811 if you got, want to grab a, a Bible that's found that we provided for you. We're going to be walking through uh, this morning Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 25. And this morning is going to be a, uh, a different morning. Uh, Matt Boomsma said to me this morning, so you got two weeks off this month, huh? How nice. Well, the reason a couple weeks ago, Brandon, God bless him, um, after a crazy week of being down in Louisville and having uh, the funeral of Caleb, uh, Brandon said, hey, can I bless you by uh, preaching the second half of the Lord's Prayer? I'm going, absolutely. As, as an elder candidate, I am glad to see that you are willing to take that. Well, this morning, you get the privilege of hearing Todd Pabin preach. And uh, for the past few months, Todd has been uh, an intern for, for Missio Day, where he's been focusing on uh, the worship ministry and helping build all that kind of stuff, building a team and figuring out what does it really look like to be in ministry as a lifetime vocation. And um, so one of the things in, that I, I did, being obsessive, compulsive, anal retentive, and t- kind of the personality that I am, I wrote out, what are the objectives? What are the things that Todd needs to see and hear and understand when it comes to the ministry of the church? And, uh, you know, I, I can't play a guitar, but he's been doing that kind of stuff. We've been talking about, was it, how do you, how do you build um, a certain gravity where people are drawn into worship and where he can understand what's going on in the room? All those kind of things. But there was one piece that was missing. Can he communicate clearly the gospel? And so, back in January, when I wrote out his job description, I said, you must preach once. He bucked me the whole time. And that's all right. So this morning, uh, having walked with him and done a lot of the research, the exegetical work and reading scripture, giving him some Greek and doing all these kind of things, throwing commentaries at him and sitting, listening to him uh, preach it a couple, two or three or four or five, I don't know how many times, taking his sermon apart piece by piece. This morning he is ready. And I am encouraged to hear a college student faithfully bring the word of God. And I love what he gets to preach on. Listen carefully. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not your life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet their heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you? by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is... Today, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, 
O you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious about anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. Come on up, Todd. Let's pray for Todd. God, I thank you for Babes, for Todd, and what you have been doing in his life. God, I just ask that this morning that you give him the strength that he needs, just a backbone of steel so that as he sits under the weight of Scripture, Lord, that he can stand up with your strength and your wisdom and share your eternal truths and your love, which we we affectionately call the gospel. God, would you give him ears that can hear, eyes that can see, and a heart that is receptive to your Spirit's leading this morning. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Well, good morning, Miss Day Church. It's definitely different to be on uh, this side of things this morning. Normally I have my safe comfort zone over here where I just have to play guitar for a little bit. I don't have to talk into a microphone for long periods of time. I have people that are able to sing, unlike myself. And so really it's a nice, comfortable setup. I can blend in with numerous other people, uh, and I'm not the focal point. So this is uh, a bit of anxiety for me. Um, to be up here talking in front and using inflections and having to do all these types of things that, that it's encouraged to do when public speaking and uh, especially delivering uh, God's Word. Uh, so this morning I come to you anxious in that. I'm already anxious. What, what are all you thinking as everybody has grins and looking at me? I, I don't even want to know what you're thinking, so I'm fine with that. Um, <laughs> love John. Um, so this morning I'm, I'm not only worried about that, but... Um, just the weightiness of Scripture and staying faithful to His Word uh, is a weighty task in and of itself. And so, Paul had given me three options. He had said, I love what he gets to preach on this morning. So he had given me three options back in January. We sat down and we had the, the text out. He goes, to preach on. That's the preface. To preach on. You can either preach on sex, on money, or on being anxious. I'm not married, so therefore, sex is out of the option. I'm a poor college student, therefore, I can't really preach on money. So what better thing than uh, in my last semester of being in college to talk about don't be anxious and being done in two weeks. And so as I am in my last semester of of college, I have two weeks left. Um, Next Thursday, I return to my position of associate at Woodfence Farm, uh, and I reside there, and I will no longer be done. There's a few summer school courses left to do, but outside of that, I'm basically done. I moved back home with my parents in two weeks, which is another thing in and of itself. I'm already beginning to, how do I do this? Uh, 
been three years since I've had to live at home. So excited for that, but also those of you who've done it know that that's always fun in and of itself. Uh, so I'm, I'm not only nervous about school, I'm going back home and I have no job. Good boat to beat in. Um, those three things are, are weighing on me. They're getting heavier and heavier the more people are asking about them. And so I'm sure some of you may not have that exact story, but you're similar with me, that you have things that you're worried about this morning. And so as I look to this and, and I read Jesus' words as I'm beginning to prepare from, for this, I read things, do not be anxious. And that's easy for Jesus to say, right? Because Jesus was just this man that walked around earth. He had long flowing hair. He wore sandals all the time. He walked around eating fish. So he had everything prepared for him. He had these 12 people that traveled around with him. So he was never, he was never the odd guy out. I don't have anything to do on a Friday night. No. What Scripture tells us is there's a man that was hungry. There was a man that was thirsty. There was a man that for 40 days underwent temptation like we can never be tempted. There's a man that walked the road to the cross willingly, knowing full well what that death meant, that he would be lonely on that journey. At his biggest time of need, he would be lonely. And he knew full well the pain that he was going to take on, the sins of Paul Vroom, the sins of Emily Schister, both past, present, and future. All of humanity's sins were put on Jesus. So he went to that place, that cross, knowing full well what was going to happen. He did that so that we would no longer be objects of wrath, but considered his children. And therefore, since we are, we are considered his children, we now have a proper standing before God for those who believe those who confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord over their life. And therefore, with that right standing before God, the Lord's Prayer makes sense. That as Jesus taught us to pray this prayer, that our Father in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He teaches us this God-centric prayer. This prayer that is not centered on himself. He doesn't come saying, I need this, I need this, I need this. He simply prays everything God. After that, what does he tell us? Brandon preached on it, saying, give us this day our daily bread. If our Heavenly Father is perfect, He will provide for you. He will give you your daily bread. And since He gives us our daily bread, last week we learned that we are not to worry about our money, that we can be concerned for it, that we will have to work for it, that it will not be easy, but we are not to worry about it. And so even with the money that He gives us, we are to be kingdom-minded with it, that just as His prayer was, Lord, Your kingdom come, your will be done. May the same be done with our finances. 
that we look at it with kingdom eyes and not our eyes. And so we ended last week reading verse 24 saying, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one or love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. So then it makes sense that we're able to read verse 25 where he says, Therefore. Well, therefore what? Well, therefore, since you serve God, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. So in my preparation for this week, there was this quote that popped up where it says, Worrying is practical atheism and an affront to God. Worrying is a practical atheism and an affront to God. If that's not a slap in the face, I don't know what is. That our worrying, our worrying about, are we going to have enough campers come this summer? Do I have a job teaching next year? Am I selling enough windows? Am I building enough houses? Worrying about, um, the Sunday dinner for some of you that you may be cooking in your crock pot now. Worrying about whatever it is, I'll let you fill in the blank. Whatever it is you're worrying about, according to this, is practical atheism, that you're denying the name of Jesus. For me, in my worrying, will I have a job? Yes. Because He gives us our daily bread. So what does he tell us to do about that? Therefore I tell you, do not. And in the big Greek, fancy Greek, it's just a little way of saying, right now, stop. No more worrying. We're done. Right now, stop. Stop worrying about it. Easier said than done. But he's, he commands us to stop. Don't worry about it anymore. Be done with it. Because that's not being faithful. That offends me. It's practical atheism and it's a front to God that it offends Him when we worry. And so He gives us two examples. And I love the examples that He gets because they're completely things that we overlook. If you look to verse 26, it goes on to say, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? The birds of the air. Think about it. Just think about it. It's getting nice out. We're all starting to see. We're starting to fill our bird feeders that we fill every springtime. We're starting to see the birds come out that we haven't seen for a long time. Maybe some of us are hearing them at that lovely hour of 5, 5.30, 6 o'clock. I don't know, I don't, I don't get to hear birds all that much anymore at Trinity. But even the birds of the air are taken care of. They don't go around trying to hoard up all their bird feed and make sure that they're huddling over it, saying, this is my feeder, you don't get to have it, this is mine for the spring, stay away. No, they knock some on the ground, they take it, and they go about. 
They go around eating it. They don't worry about that. They sing. As annoying as it is, they sing. Completely different. And, and on Trinity, uh, I just remember in the fall time, as, as they're tr- you see all the squirrels just trying to knock everything down, and they're just storing up and storing up and storing up and storing up. These are mine, mine, mine. Nobody can touch my food. And so as I'm thinking about this, and forgive me if I'm w- taking a story way too far, but I almost wonder if the birds are better kingdom lovers than us. Where they live, not out of storing and hoarding, but they live even subconsciously. I don't, even, I don't know what a bird thinks about. But I bet you if, if we could look into it, they don't, even, they don't even think about it. I always have food. I've never had to worry about it. I have to work for it. I have to find a feeder. I have to do this. I have to dig for worms. Similar to us. But he will provide. And so, we get to this, the end of that verse. Are you of not more value than they? And as I was sitting in that, are you not more valuable? What makes us more valuable? Why, do we, why are we of worth? Why are we better than the birds of the air? Well, it takes us all the way back to Genesis. Even pre-fall. Where we read that we were created... In His image. We were created equal, yet distinct. But we were created in His image, which has huge, huge gospel implications. That for those who believe, you're not to worry. And I need you to stick with me on this. Because I'm sure this is a familiar verse for all of us, no matter what your background is. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. That whoever believes in Him should not perish. That whoever believes, that whoever confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord over them, they will not perish. And they will have eternal life. And I don't think that this is calling us to, therefore, you know, we have an easy life. I don't think he's, I don't think he's implying it that at all. But I think that he is, however calling us to trust on Him, have radical obedience, unadulterated commitment to the Father who gives life. To the One in whose image, in the image of the Father, in the image of the Son, in the image of the Holy Spirit, we have life in that. And therefore we have our proper standing before God. And the fact that we are made in His image and that God takes joy in seeing His children, those who believe in Him, those who confess in Him, God takes joy in seeing His children come to Him. And that Jesus came to die for us so that we are no longer objects of wrath, but we are His children. We get to live in this kingdom. 
This kingdom that I speak of and that we've been learning about is a God-centered kingdom where we put God's will, God's needs first. That we love our enemies. That we submit ourselves to others and that we're not selfish. This kingdom is His kingdom, it's not ours. Which is completely different than the American kingdom that we live in. Where we have our, we try to find the biggest space in which we have four walls and we jam as much junk in there as we can. And we try to survive off that all that we can. And we try to put everything into that four walls. Those four walls. Into that kingdom. Which will completely fall apart. Because it's only God's kingdom that is an everlasting kingdom. So what a privilege it is to live in that kingdom where there's security instead of anxiety. Where there's trust instead of distrust. Where there's love instead of hate. Where there's kingdom-mindedness instead of Todd-mindedness. What a joy it is to live in that. Because if you live in that kingdom, therefore you trust in the Father... Because He calls you to that, you have the Spirit living in you to live into Him. Therefore, we are not allowed to worry. He calls us not to worry. Because worrying puts us in the driver's seat, which we so often want, that I'm in control of everything, when really we're not. I don't encourage you to try it, but if you have, you realize that it, it doesn't work. It falls apart real quick. And if we go back to this quote that worrying is practical atheism and affront to God, just think what worrying does in your marriages, in your relationships, in your friendships. That worrying, where we put our worry, where we put our worry affects that you're more concerned about providing for that relationship, you're more concerned about putting your energy and making sure that that relationship, that my relationship with Dave is taken care of financially, that I'm hanging out and that we're doing all this, it has all these external factors that go into it instead of just loving Him and living into that knowing that God will provide and that together, since we are both submitting to Jesus, we can live and function and be one within this kingdom. So living in this kingdom has got to make something different. And verse 31 kind of hints to that. What makes us different? What do people who believe in the gospel, what makes them different? So we read, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. What makes us any different? What makes us different than the neighbor? What makes us different than the person that you sit next to in school or at class? Or the kids that you'll be ministering to this summer? Or the kids that you teach? Or the co-workers that you work with? What makes you any different? And I get excited walking through. I've had the privilege to take a class at school in which we walk through the Gospels and we walk through the book of Acts. And we got to walk through this section. So it was like double church 
Monday, Wednesday, Friday for 50 minutes, plus an hour and a half here, just sitting in the Sermon on the Mount. And what makes us different is that those who, who live in this kingdom, those who follow the gospel, they get this sort of a kingdom. They get these new kingdom ethics, this new way of living, where instead of no murder, there's no name-calling. Instead of, instead of no adultery, which we read in the commandments, no lust. Instead of divorce sometimes, there are now real restrictions. No false swearing. Jesus is saying no swearing at all. Eye for an eye. Don't retaliate. I think I need to hear that one again. Uh, eye for an eye. Don't retaliate. Kind of try to push that one aside. But instead, you retaliate in love. Because what's the next one? You've heard it said, love your neighbor. What does Jesus call us to do? Love your enemy. That person you don't get along with. That frustrating coworker. Whatever it may be, calls you to love that person. And now we get the final one. That instead of worrying, we are not to be anxious. So the way we live in this kingdom of not worrying, and not only this list, but we don't worry, we get to live in this community within this kingdom, that it's not just ourselves, we don't, we don't just confess with our heart, confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. We don't just do that on our own, because that's not what he calls us to. And so we, we, we've been learning about Jesus' prayer earlier, but there's another prayer later on in John, John 17, where Jesus is praying to the Father. And as Jesus is praying to the Father, He calls, He prays for His church, His believers. He prays for oneness, just as the Father and the Son are one, that the Father birthed the Son, that they were created equal, that He's begotten, that they are one of the same essence, that they've been united, this oneness that the Father and the Son get to have. He prays that the church would have that. That whoever believes in Him, that whoever comes to confess His name, they get to be one. He prays for that for His church. And we get to live within that. To be in a God-centered community instead of a Todd-centered community. What a completely different way of living that is. So then, what does this mean for Missio Day and for myself? To seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. What does that mean for us? What does that mean in our workplaces? To seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That as we go to school and we work with employees or if we go to sell windows what does that look like to live within that kingdom 
within our neighborhoods? What does that look like? What does it look like in our schools to love our classmates the way Jesus calls us to in the kingdom? I mean, I, I don't have enough answers. I could stand up here all day and just give you what that looks like. What does it look like to bear each other's burdens within this kingdom then, too? What would it look like for me to watch Karsten so that the Burks can go out and just be husband and wife? Not that Karsten's a burden, but to be in community with them, to love them so that they can love each other well. That's what that kingdom looks like. Or what does it look like to go down and serve with John as he goes to Roseland occasionally and to try to bring the kingdom that we're trying to build here and to bring forth here and to follow after the Spirit with here to Roseland in which he just builds projects and just tries to be faithful to another ministry? What does it look like for us to live in this kingdom? What does it look like for you to live in this kingdom? So Jesus tells us then in verse 34, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day its own trouble. Makes me think to the birds of the air again. Don't worry about it. Easier said than done. But He calls us to that. We need to obey that then. Because Scripture has authority. Jesus' words have authority over our lives. So how are we going to be like the birds of the air? In the way that we don't worry, and for those who confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord, in a minute we're going to be partaking in the table. And that story is what allows us not to worry. But there is a man named Jesus that came into this world to live a perfect life, a life that none of us could live, in radical obedience to the Father in which He calls us to live, in His perfect death, in His resurrection. And because of that, He has given us a different standing before God that we are no longer objects of wrath, but we are His children. It is just that and that alone that we don't have to worry. For those who believe, that is comforting. That is where our identity is found, in this man. It's where our community is founded, is this man. But for those of you who don't, there's going to be nothing. There's no hope other than Jesus. Because if, if you don't believe, you're, you're relying on your two hands to bring forth your own kingdom. And it's not going to work. It's going to slip through your hands because you're going to cling to a marriage that isn't focused on Jesus. You're going you're to cling to your employees, your employer your neighbors, 
whatever it is that these hands can grab onto, you're going to try to grab onto that, and it's not going to work. It's only in Jesus Christ alone that we can cling to, that we can hold on to, because as we talked earlier, we can relate to. So, one last time. To be re-reminded of this and to lead us to the cross, to lead us to the table, that our worrying is practical atheism and an affront to God, and that we, as Christians, have a different standing, and therefore, we are able to cling to our Savior, the one who died for us, took on the wrath of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you, Lord, for your death, for your Son, in which we are no longer objects of wrath, but we are your children, Lord. And Lord, because of that, we are not to worry. Lord, would your Holy Spirit come into us so that we do not have to worry? But Lord, that we would become a community that would bear each other's burdens, Lord. Lord, that we would love one another. Lord, that we would not only love our neighbor, but we would love our enemies, Lord, with the love that your Son poured out to us. Lord, would we be a city on a hill that shines your light, your gospel, your good news to people? so that they can believe in Your Son, Lord, so that they can cling to a Savior instead of their worrying and their distrust. God, would Your Holy Spirit make us new again? Would it bring us back into life with You, Lord, into, into trust, into repentance, Lord, for our distrust? so that we could be your children within your kingdom. We pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.